It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for the last 10 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Well, Ben, if there was any concern at all that we wouldn't have just a ton of stuff to talk about after UFC 282, just because it looked on paper like it might be kind of a low-profile, ho-hum pay-per-view event, uh, especially for an end-of-the-year pay-per-view event, well, ha-ha, nobody needn't have worried As it turns out, we have more than we could possibly address during the next hour or so, but we're going to do our best here on this episode of The Proper. As everybody knows by now in the main event, Jan Blahovitz and Magomed Ankalaev battled to a split draw, which obviously leaves the UFC light heavyweight title unhoused for the moment. And of course, Patty Pimblett comes away with the unanimous decision win over Jared Gordon. And there was some discussion about that. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit of discussion about that one on the internet after it was over. So we're going to discuss the outcomes of both of those fights for the majority of this episode, uh, including what happens next for the light heavyweight division and what on earth the UFC can do now with Patty, who seems like kind of a legitimately big star for them and who, oh, by the way, maybe isn't that great of a fighter. Uh, But first, Ben, you had to know. That before the night was over, there was going to be some hijinks, right? Because things started out too well at UFC 282. Ten stoppages in a row. And I don't know, man, if you're like me and you've been around this sport a long time, you get ten stoppages in a row. You know, you get up to six, seven stoppages in a row. You start thinking, okay, okay, what's going to happen? When's this going to go off the rails? When will this night take a turn? And the first thing you start to think is, well, the rest of the fights are going to be boring decisions. As it turned out, the just the handling of the last two fights here, just an absolute grease fire. But you had to know that that was going to happen because everything else had been so awesome. Yeah. It's like when you don't ask the judges to do very much, you know that what you do ask them to do is going to be a shit show yeah. in some way. And sure they enough, got rusty. 
They got Rusty <laughs> sitting over there. Didn't need him for the next the rest of the night. Yeah. They're, who some, knows what they're doing? A couple few soda pops yeah, going down. I mean, by and that then, point, they you don't ask them to turn in any scorecards that matter. And pretty soon, they're deep into a game of snood. Yeah. You know, they're they're on like one of the high levels of Candy Crush where shit is getting serious and they have to tear themselves away and they, you only get in a portion of their attention at that point. You know, uh, it sounds like those judges could benefit from some of my advice, and that is stay ready so you don't got to get ready. Yeah, no, you learned that in prison. You, you say yeah. that all the time. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things. I mean, even UFC president Dana White said he zoned out after the first couple rounds of the main event. So who could who could expect the paid judges the officials as posted by the state athletic commission to pay attention if number one top mixed martial arts fan dana white (laughs) is zoning out after 10 minutes of the main event i like how dana white is increasingly even dropping any sort of veneer that he still enjoys this yeah that he still even likes this sport yeah I saw a headline on the internet earlier this week that was like, Dana White says he's not going anywhere, but he can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, Dana White's been retired for five years. He just, <laughs> he hasn't heard about it yet. Just, you know, really l- hoping that the slap fighting thing takes off so he can go do that and not have to mess around with this whole running a multi-billion dollar MMA yeah. organization anymore. It's so tedious. Imagine being so bored by being the president of the UFC that you're like, I don't know, slap fighting? (laughs) Slap fighting seems like a good career move at this point. Sitting there watching these guys fight and be like, there's just, there's too much defense. Too much blocking and moving. If only these guys were a couple of just overweight bar bouncers smacking each other in the face and not even allowed to flinch. Then, then maybe I could get my interest up. If only I could pay these guys 800 bucks a pop to slap each other in the face for a few minutes. Remember, you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. This show drops for free every Monday afternoon in your timelines and podcast libraries. Ben, I've been told that my LMFAO reference is dated. Oh, no. I guess I'm not going to say that one anymore. Uh, But if you want to hear us turn up the music, turn down the lights for the rest of the week. You know where Ben Folks and I will be. We'll be over on the Patreon churning out that additional MMA content that plants crave. We've got the Wednesday live chat where we take your questions for a full 60 minutes. We've got Thursday's Doing the Damn Thing podcast, and we've got Friday's Power Hour, a full extra hour of curated MMA talk uh, from the two hosts you love to love equally. Get down with us. We've got a patron tier for every budget. Head over to patreon.com slash co-main event and sign up to join the team. Support the podcast that supports you so well, so tenderly. Keep the discourse unfettered and keep this train on the tracks headed into 2023. Again, that's patreon.com slash co-main event. I thought for a second you were doing a Muppet Show reference that's there. The, that's from the new Lizzo song. Okay. Just came out this year. So I defy, this... I defy the critics to say some shit about that one. Now you're, you've got your finger on the pulse. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. New Lizzo song. Cobaniacs, there's still a little bit of time before Christmas to get your shopping done. And if you want to get your shit by the holiday, man, you're cutting it a little bit close. 
But what do you give the MMA fan who has everything? Get them some CME merchandise, of course. Head on over to our brand new merch shop where you'll find old favorites like the original Dundasso t-shirt design and the old school Cowboy Astronaut Cigarettes merch. You can also find a lot of cool new stuff like the new Are You Fucking Kidding Me shirts, officially licensed merchandise for the dreaded MMA gods. Maybe if we would have bought a few more of those, the UFC 282 main event wouldn't have ended in a split draw. And of course, get the hottest seller on the market the Bobby Nuck shirt. Just go to our website, comainevent.com and click the link at the top corner of the screen that says shop. That'll get you there. Remember, we're partnering with our friends at Superconductor on the shop uh, and the new design. Superconductor is a brand and design studio. You've seen their work with the CME for a long time now. Our buddy Johnny Ashcroft. Uh, hit them up over at studiosuperconductor.com or on Instagram, studiosuperconductor, if you've got any design needs whatsoever we got music this week uh from our guy simio stockholm based producer aka co-main event, co-main event podcast listener alfred larson if you like what you hear from him on the show you can check out more at soundcloud.com slash simio that's s-e-e-m-i-o simio Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast in round number one patrick pimblet breaks the internet The 15 minutes inside the cage were fine, but all hell didn't really break loose until they read the judges' scorecards. And in round number two, Douglas Crosby had a wild weekend, turned in a questionable scorecard at the Mohegan Sun in Uncasville, Connecticut on Friday, then hopped on a plane, jetted out to Las Vegas, just in time to turn in a questionable scorecard at T-Mobile Arena on Saturday. What the fuck, man? And in round number three, free to a good home. UFC light heavyweight title, lightly used. Somebody please come get this belt. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. This week's listener mail is once again brought to you by NordVPN. NordVPN is one of our favorite online products right now. I use it on all my devices. I know Ben does too. It's super fast and easy to use. Even I can figure it out, which is saying something. NordVPN will give you the peace of mind of knowing that all your personal information is safe online, whether you're using the internet at home, traveling, or just running around town, and your phone is bouncing from public Wi-Fi to public Wi-Fi. Ben, what do you like best about using NordVPN? Well, you know I like that protection on the public Wi-Fi is because, you know, sometimes, Chad, of a Friday evening, perhaps, I might have to go out on the town, run a couple errands. Perhaps I go down the street to the shopping mall, get on their public Wi-Fi while I'm there. You know, NordVPN has me covered. What if I go further down the street to the gentleman's club? Nord NordVPN has me covered there. Uh, you know, occasionally you're at the gentleman's club. You know how it goes. I don't have to tell you. You need to get on the Wi-Fi for something. You need to do a quick Google search uh, because you are engaged in a conversation with several other gentlemen. And uh, perhaps you have to settle a disagreement about, uh, you know, what year the uh, Boer War wrapped up. And there you go. NordVPN has you covered. You're not going to get in any trouble on the public Wi-Fi. You're just going to get into trouble in every other aspect of your life. 
We've been telling you guys about the Nord Security Bundle. Nord VPN has three easy options for how to use it. You can get the standard plan for your basic VPN needs. You can get the plus plan if you need a little something extra. And if you want to go for the big dog, you can get the complete plan, which will take care of your every need. Enjoy the leading VPN service and malware blocker. Generate and store strong passwords. Protect files in an encrypted cloud. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash comain or use the comain to get your one you get your one free bonus month as well as their exclusive 30-day money back guarantee you know if you're down at the gentleman's club mm-hmm. nordvpn is the least of your worries but you know i disagree all right uh first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from mexican mao who writes let's go in all caps raul rosas jr choked a mf or out in round one without breaking a sweat at 18 year old 18 years old the guy then grabbed the mic and channeled his inner conor mcgregor young version at least is he the real deal and why is your answer si senor please discourse you know what so raul rosas jr an actual teenager Goes out there, chokes out Jay Perrin, first round, two minutes and 44 seconds. Kind of a a face crank, really. Like, didn't, I don't even know if he had the arm underneath the chin, but he gets the tap for his uh, bantamweight win in his UFC debut. We had seen him once before on the Contender Series. There's a bunch of people on this UFC 282 card that I came away from thinking, I would like to see that person fight again. And one of those persons was Raul Rosas Jr., And that doesn't come along every day in this modern version of the UFC, where you see a guy who has anything going where you think, I would really like to see him fight again. And so chalk it up to a big win for the 18-year-old fella and, frankly, his promoters, because uh, they got me, hook, line, and sinker. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to see this guy and how he progresses through the UFC. Well, yeah, you know, Watching him uh, on his fight in the Contender Series, you could tell, you know, he found himself in a real fight there where clearly the UFC would like the guy to become a thing. And they were really leaning into on the Contender Series. Here he is. He's 17 years old when he fought in the Contender Series. And you recall that he was like a month shy of his 18th birthday. And so they, they definitely wanted that novelty appeal of being able to say, not even a legal adult fighting in a cage. And it worked. Like, it worked to get people's attention to go and you watch the guy. And he fought uh, Mando Gutierrez and that one. And it was like, okay, you're fighting a guy who is giving you a good test. A lot of your stuff that you're trying to do maybe doesn't work exactly the way you think it's going to. But, you, you know, you find yourself in a real fight there. And then when they bring him over to the UFC, it's clear, like, okay, we we would like him to continue being a thing. Yeah, we're we're gonna set him up for success in a way. We're we're not gonna risk overmatching him right away um, because we want to see him build some momentum. And he does seem to have like a, a real, I would say, the enthusiasm of youth when it comes yeah. to the fight game. Yeah. You know, and it's I always wonder. We see we've seen before where people start in this very young, and typically what happens is they also end young. They 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 fight their way out of this sport earlier than most other people, which maybe maybe honestly that's the way to do it. If you start at eighteen or twenty or something, and then you're done and you've had an entire career by the time you're thirty four, then there's still time to have an entire other career because it's not like you're going to make enough money that you never have to work again in MMA yeah. for most people. Yeah. So maybe that is honestly the way to go about it. But you're right that 
you, you bring us this guy and you show like, okay, you, you get us to grade on a curve kind of mentally because even while we're watching him, he looks good. He, he, you know, he looks like he's comfortable in there. He's not awed by the moment. He, he's, he looks like he belongs. And then we go, but he looks really good. For an 18-year-old, he looks really good for a high school senior who needs his mom to drive him to the PI, you know? So we have that in the back of our minds, and it does, it creates enough of a hook for us to be like, tell me when he's on the card again. Yeah. You know how uh, you can get me is if you get on the mic and ask for 50 Gs so you can buy a minivan so that your mom can drive you around. That's that's when I'm like, team minivan, I'm in. That's one of my guys right there. Capital yeah. G guy. When I heard that, I was like, he needs to contact Chad Dundas, who did all the research on various minivans before he yeah. bought one. Can tell you the pros and the cons of each one. Yeah. To- Get you into a Toyota Sienna. Only problem is not a lot of media in points inputs there, but uh, get you into the Woodlands edition. It's got a little higher clearance okay. underneath, you know, I think it's got a little, it's got a hybrid option if you get into the Woodlands. So you can either go that or you go, you know, Honda. You want to go Honda. It's basically the same vehicle as the Toyota, just some more media inputs. So, you know, he should call me. I got all the, I got the, I got a folder that looks like it was compiled by a middle-aged dad on my, on my desk right now. I can share yeah. my, uh, my it's, stuff with him. It's next to where you keep your warranties, your warranties <laughs> folder. Uh, there's no reason to rush this kid into top competition. Like sometimes in MMA, we, if we go with a little bit more of the boxing, model where you try to build a guy into a star it can rub you the wrong way right yeah. i think we see some of that right now with patty pimblet for example but when you have a uh an 18 year old kid man there's no reason to be like end up next marlon chito vera yeah for raul rosas jr like you don't got to do that like we don't need him to fight umar Nurmagomedov next week but like you know give him some people he could probably beat that's fine with me if he's a almost a child yeah and see that is the thing because uh, there's always a like a certain kind of baggage that's gonna come with being the promoter's guy, the 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 boss's kid, basically. Where we know they would like to see you win, and especially when they're matching you up against people without Wikipedia pages, we're gonna go. Mm, we see what is happening here. I don't think you brought this guy who's ten and six in because you think he's gonna beat the shit out of this kid. But that is the flip side that you can always lean on is. As soon as anybody in the media is be like, why are you protecting this guy? You you turn it around on them and be like, you want to see this teenager, this literal teenager? You want to see him get beat up? What is wrong with you, man? What what sickness eats away at your soul that yeah. you would like to see this, this, this poor sweet babe get assaulted? How dare you? And then you go, okay, fine. That'll work for a while. It won't work forever, but it'll work for a while. At least until he's of legal drinking age, I would think. Uh, next question this week comes to us from Shadrap, who writes, Darren Till and DDP had an interesting fight. DDP sim- seemed to gas for a bit during that fight, and Joe Rogan would tell me it's because he looks good getting off the bus. Anyways, what's next for both men? Does Till have a future at middleweight? Now, here's how you know that Darren Till and uh, Drikas Duplessis had a an action-packed fight. And that is because they won fight of the night at UFC 282, where the competition was thick for fight of the night in this thing. And it ends up going to DDP and Darren Till. Man, at this point, I don't even know if the right question is to ask if Darren Till has a future at middleweight. I think the right question to ask is, does Darren Till have a future in MMA or have a future in the UFC, I guess? 
Yeah, that was not a great performance from Darren Till, especially when he knew he had his back to the wall. He'd been through some stuff recently, really needed to win this one, and was telling us beforehand that he knew how much he needed to win this one. He's uh, once again, for some reason, bringing up how little he sees his own children so that he can complete a full hardcore training camp, and he's really ready to go in there and do it. And then just didn't look great from the get-go. And, I mean... I too was wondering what's going up with what's going on with DDP and his conditioning or whatever. But I, I guess I assumed or I was willing to attribute it to he thought he had Darren Till finished in that first round. He had a couple positions where, where it looked like, and honestly, maybe if he would have kept punching, would have actually been that he gets the stoppage there. And instead, he transitions trying for a submission, trying for like a choke or a neck crank or whatever. Um, and it seemed like maybe he spent everything he had when he saw that opening and thought, okay, here it is. I'm about to get out of here. And then when you don't, uh, you get that adrenaline dump, you, your, your arms are kind of blown up, but he didn't panic in that, in that point. He, he collected himself. He kept going after Darren Till. Till came back and was landing some good shots, but that takedown was there for DDP, even when it was kind of sloppy takedowns because he was tired because the the entries weren't super smooth and he was still getting Darren Till down which just made me wonder man alive Darren Till like how is it that that's a hole that's still in your game here and after all this stuff we keep hearing about okay how he's training he's he's, uh, addressing these weaknesses in his game Chad I'll refer you to a tweet that I sent you on fight night because it struck me funny from at UTDJ underscore nine you can tell it must be a good tweet because i don't even know who the person is but it reads till the type of guy to press up on an elevator and get taken down Ooh, ouch wow and and yet how do you mean if you have even a little bit better takedown defense in that fight maybe you win it because he's looking pretty gassed on the feet the punches are coming slower and slower i mean the jab's still finding you somehow and yet can't stop a takedown to save his life, it seems. Yeah. Uh, Darren Till now one and five in his last six, and the one victory is the split decision win over Kelvin Gastelum back in November of 2019. Now, this is a potential word of warning to a guy like Raul Rosas Jr., because you know how old Darren Till is? 29. Darren Till doesn't turn 30 for another 12 days. Happy pre-birthday, by the way, to Darren Till. He's going to turn 30 on December 24th of this year, Christmas Eve. So uh, it's like you were just saying, sometimes you don't end up staying in the sport until you're 40. If you start early on, Darren Till, it feels like he's already lived several lives in front of our very eyes in the UFC. And here he is not even 30. So that's a bit of a sobering expectation uh, or sobering fact there for, for Darren Till. And man... I don't even know what to think about the guy at this point. At one point, he was out here talking about how he was going to be a three-division champion. you got to go bring that up. Well, that old I mean, curse. if you want to draw the ire of the MMA gods, maybe that's the kind of stuff you say. I don't know. Yeah. Next question this week comes to us from Darkwing Dunce, who writes, How about Ilya Tupuria handling Bryce Mitchell? I thought Ilya might win, but didn't expect it to be so easy. This guy going to fly high at featherweight or what? Uh, I would say yes. Ilya Tapuria at this point, uh, odds on he's going to fly high, given that he now is 13-0, five wins in a row, 
in the UFC, the last three over Ryan Hall, Jai Herbert, and Bryce Mitchell, uh, all of them by stoppage. He, uh, he seems like he is going to be a player, I would say, in the near future. Honestly, he really impressed me probably more than anybody else on this card. And it's kind of a shame. It, if you just look at what the records were and what the, the, the stakes felt like they were, this one deserves a lot more shine than Patty Pimlet's fight with a guy we handpicked for Patty Pimlet to beat. Because this yeah. was, Jed, as you like to say, this was kind of a somebody's oh must go fight. I mean, Brian yeah. Bryce Mitchell lost on the Ultimate Fighter, but technically, as a professional, came in here undefeated. Ilya Deporia came in at twelve and zero. We get sort of you know a little personal heat before the fight. You get. Uh, Bryce Mitchell seems to be the favorite of the crowd. Ilya Teporia getting booed a little bit and then asking them afterwards, why nobody is talking now? Where is it at? You know, and it's just like, oh, damn. But like this was way more of a fight that shows us, okay, we're going to find out who has a better chance to end up being a capital G guy in this division. Way more so than anything that Patty Pimlet fight told us about what's going on at Lightweight. Yeah. And Teporia looked fucking fantastic. The only yeah. real criticism you could bring up about him was at some points where he thought, okay, I know where this guy's going to be and I'm just going to tee off and knock his head clean off his shoulders. And a couple times he was overcommitting on those punches uh, and leaving himself open. But it's like, you know, Bryce Mitchell's whole thing is uh, wants to get, get you down there and get his ground game to work. And instead... When they do get down there, it doesn't look like it's necessarily going his way all the time. He ends up getting tapped by that arm triangle, uh, even after all that uh, stuff about how he's showing up ready to die. And he looks all the way around, like where Ilya Tepori is just piecing him up, looks like a dangerous man on the feet. I really came away afterwards thinking how he and, and Patty Pimlet got after got into it at the press conference and people were like, oh, we see a fight between those two. If you make a fight between those two now, you ought to be brought up on charges because yeah. Ilya Teporia would murder that man. Yeah. Obviously, we will talk about Patty Pimblet a bunch later, but the temerity. Can you imagine yeah. the temerity? The audacity. From Patrick Pimblet to try to have a feud with Ilya Teporia. Like uh, he's going to go across the club and ask out the hottest person in the club and all of his friends are looking out like, yeah, man, shoot your shot. And then he walks away and we're all like, oh, God. Well, there goes Jesus. a dead man walking right there. Yeah, that's right. Uh, next question this week comes to us from at Pissed Off Lawyer over on Twitter. He says, on Saturday night, I was treated to maybe a dozen ads for the, quote, Hasbula Vanity Collection, a line <laughs> of UFC clothing and merchandise with Hasbula's name slapped on the items. I have three questions I was hoping you could pass along to the marketing and customer research experts employed by uh, CME Enterprises, LLC. Okay. Number one, who would buy this stuff? Number fools. two, damn fools, <laughs> fools who are soon separated from their money. Uh, number two, what does quote unquote vanity mean in this context? And three, why is this a thing? Now, Ben, <laughs> I had to go uh, look for myself at the Hasbula vanity collection over at UFC.com. And I'm taken aback with the sheer number of Hasbula products yeah. offered by the UFC right now. Maybe more products than almost any fighter. Which stands yeah. to reason, because if you got Hasbulla signed to a deal, which we do, what the hell else are you going to do with him besides print up shirts? I don't think you can monetize that very many other ways, to be honest. Well, put him in the video game, apparently, even though I saw several fighters talking about like, hey, I'm an actual UFC fighter and I'm not in that game. And Hasbulla is in the game? Okay. 
I also wondered what vanity means, the Hasbullah vanity collection. I was like, hmm, that's an interesting way to phrase it as a way to kind of suggest that don't take it too seriously, maybe. And I was just like, who were there people out there where they felt like this is a need? This is a consumer need that is going unaddressed. And we have to jump in there and fill that niche. I I mean, the crazy part is that they may actually be right. Like the question, who would buy this stuff? Did you see the crowd shot of the guy who was standing there look, with a beer in his hand, wearing a Howler head t-shirt, wearing the Patty Pimlet wig, just yeah. having a, a ball at this UFC pay-per-view while his girlfriend is standing next to him texting, presumably... Yeah, I know, guys, but it's one of his things he makes him happy, and so I'm here to support him. <laughs> and I was just like, that guy, that's the that is the consumer that the UFC has waited for. Before he existed, the UFC lay there like a like a dormant volcano, waiting for this man <laughs> and his ilk to arrive. And now they're here. You looked yeah. around at UFC 282. They were they were there, man. They were yeah. in the building. They were representing. It's like that's the guy. That's the guy who also who just thinks it's hilarious that Hasbulla is small, but his face looks old. That'll never get old to that guy. That yeah. is the height of comedy. That's uh, it's like artistic achievement uh, to that guy is like Hasbulla punching people in the cute, adorable way that Hasbulla does. And then, you know, somebody slipping on a banana peel and smashing their face in a pie like those people. That's who that's for. They can't get enough of it, man. And UFC better hope they can't because isn't the deal that they signed Hasbulla to like five years Something, something extreme, like comedically, hilariously long term. Like they're really, they're got to get their money's worth now, you know, because they don't know for sure where, where this thing's going to go. Someday you're going to look out in the crowd and it's going to be nothing but Hasbulla t-shirts and Patty Pimblet wigs. Just a sea of them. Uh, 30 bucks if you want to get yourself into a Hasbulla t-shirt. 60 bucks if you want to get the big shots Hasbulla doll, I guess is what you would call it. And of course, $105 if you want the Venom Hasbulla uh, walkout shirt. Are you fucking kidding me? Well, I know it's not, not that the portion of the show. Thing. $175 if you want to get the zip up uh, sweatshirt with Hasbulla's name on the back of it. Man, if you pay $175, like the worst thing that could happen to you is other people, it becomes a common knowledge, common public knowledge, how much that costs. Because then when you wear it out in public, not only like your best case scenario right now is you wear your Hasbulla gear out in public and people have no fucking clue who Hasbulla is. <laughs> if they do, and if furthermore, they know that you paid $175 for it, then you might as well wear a sign that says, I'm an idiot sucker. And I have too much money. Don't even know what to do with it. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, don't let me catch you as a grown man wearing a Patty <laughs> Pimblet wig. Okay. Like, you know, there's some children in the audience at UFC 282 wearing the wig. And I was like, okay, you know what? If you're a child, an actual legal child, and you like Patty Pimblet and you want to wear the wig around, that's okay. Don't be a grown man out here in the Patty Pimblet wig. Just... 
Don't do it. You played yourself. Yeah. If that's that's the case. I'm telling you, somewhere in America today, Chad, there is a group of brotastic friends all going home trying to explain how they got lice at UFC 282 (laughs) from sharing a Patty Pimlet wig. I don't know, man. We just caught the fever. We were in Vegas. We had some drinks. Next thing you know, we're all sharing wigs. We're sharing the Patty Pimblet wigs out there at UFC 282. Next thing you know, we're at at CVS buying the special shampoo. All right, comes last with a little comb is, to help you pick them out of your hair. If you had last, kids in daycare, you'd know that. Yeah. No, we all we know all about lice. Uh, last question this week from Daryl McDaniels, who I believe is uh, DMC from Run DMC. Nice. He writes, speak on the Dragon King getting his inner dragon back and roasting an opponent for the first time in three years. Sorry, that's as far as I could make the dragon metaphor go. Uh, we talked about Edmund Shabazian on Friday during the Power Hour about how uh, he had made some changes in his uh, management. He had made changes in his camp, moving from Glendale out to Extreme Couture. Uh, he had been away from the Octagon for a little bit over a year. Of course, he had been managed by R- Ronda Rousey. Now he is managed by Ali Abdelaziz. So you can uh, make your own conclusions about what kind of switch that is. Hmm. But he goes out here against an opponent that, again, the UFC probably wanted Edmund Shabazian to go out there and prove that after three straight losses, he could still be the hot young prospect that we thought he was back in 2019. He was a little over a three to one favorite heading into this fight. Anyone. That's what he was supposed to do at the same time. Good to see him come out here and get this win. I think because he was a guy who's, uh, you know, previous to this three-fight losing streak, had been 11-0, and had beat uh, Brad Tavares in the first round with a head kick. He had he had gotten our hopes up that he would be a thing, and then, of course, he goes through this uh, adversity, and now I think a lot of people would like to see him come back and sort of make good on that early potential, and this is probably a good first step on the road. Yeah, because he legitimately does have some skill, some potential, some like, raw ability there, and it felt like, Maybe where he was and how he was being sent in there was not the best that he could hope for. So you're right. Like we put him up against Derek Brunson, who was an experienced vet who'd been at this for a long time, and Jack Hermanson, who you know he looked good against in moments, but then just I think did not have the overall game and experience to deal with. And it was the right move to take some time off to to relocate. And then to come back, and rather than trying to rush back too soon, just trying to get the bad taste of a loss out of your mouth. And you're right to say that the UFC was looking to get him a win, it seemed here. was not We're, we're taking a big step back, matchmaking-wise, but maybe not the, the worst idea, because it does seem like you give this guy a chance to develop a little bit, and he might turn into something. Yeah. Uh, you know what? We got a ton of listener mail this week. We will see if we can sprinkle a little bit of it into the rest of the show as we move forward. We got a lot of mail, as you might guess, about Patty Pimblett, a lot of mail about the judging toward the end of UFC 282. We will see if we can drop some of those into the rounds. But that's going to do it for the listener mail segment this week. Remember, if you have a question, comment, or concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. Go to the website comainevent.com and click the link up at the top that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. As for right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one.
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, Ben, there's a lot to talk about, I think, about Patty Pimblett in the wake of this unanimous decision win over Jared Gordon. Obviously, a ton of fury online after the official decision was announced. You know, I've been reading for a while now that Twitter is about to break, that it's about to die. And so I kind of keep waiting for that to happen. And up until Saturday night, I had not experienced any failures by Twitter. But in the wake of the Patty Pimblett fight, I was trying to scroll through my timeline and it was just fucking broken, man. It was just madness. It was not working at all. The I was getting seeing all of the same tweets over and over again. It just seemed like uh, the 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 something about the internal workings of that particular social media site failed on Saturday night. And I don't know if that's a coincidence, but I don't know if something about uh, the outpouring of anger and traffic that must have been driven by Patty Pimblett's win over Jared Gordon had anything to do with it. So there's a lot of different ways we can get into this topic about Patty Pimblett. I think despite all of that uh, disbelief and anger on Saturday night, you and I are sort of in agreement that there is a defensible way to get to a 29-28 Patty Pimblett scorecard in this fight. I don't know that any of the judges actually did that. Yeah. So so that's one thing to talk about. Uh, But let's just start with the reaction to this thing, man. Like how much of the reaction to this win do you think was people genuinely thinking that Jared Gordon won? And how much of it was a reaction to Patty Pimblett, who had had kind of a shitty week publicly in terms of how he came off and is obviously regarded as the UFC's like chosen golden boy to go out here and wins these fights. And he gets himself into a really close fight against an opponent he was supposed to steamroll. And so how much of it do you think was people just being, you know, letting that affect their judgment, I guess? Well, I guess a big part of, my answer depends on which reaction you mean, because in the building, it seemed like everybody was thrilled and very happy with this Patty Pimlet decision victory. All the lads wearing their Patty Pimlet wigs, all that shit. And it was a little bit of like a, a cognitive dissonance moment for me, and one that maybe I was slow to arrive at, because I remember, I think after Patty Pimlet's first UFC fight, when, you know, people were getting excited about him, uh, you'd hear, you'd heard a lot about him from Cage Warriors, and he came over here, uh, fought Luigi Vendramini in that first fight night event, uh, I believe last September, and I remember getting a, a DM from my good friend Danny Downs, who was like, I don't know, man. I feel weird because people are acting like this guy's good. But when I, you know, a retired pro fighter am watching him, I don't think he's very good. And I was like, yeah, I don't know, man. He's got some holes in the game maybe, but he brings a lot of excitement. Seems to have a engaging personality. And Danny was like, I don't know. Okay. I guess maybe, but then here you're watching him in this fight. And again, it's, this is not an 18-year-old kid, you know, uh, just starting out in his career. This is a guy in his 23rd professional fight, 27 years old, uh, you know, been a pro for 10 years now. 
And he's in there with Jared Gordon, who is definitely somebody that the UFC went looking for because they thought he was beatable for Patty Pimlet. They were not trying to get in the Jared Gordon business here. This is not a usual thing for Jared Gordon to be featured in the co-main event of a UFC pay-per-view. We knew what was happening there. And on the ground in Las Vegas, people seemed thrilled with how it went. And among the MMA Twitter community, which had already kind of turned on him, as you say, we're watching him, we're watching him get pasted with the same left hook by Jared Gordon over and over again. We're watching him really not do a whole lot of anything. Even when he tries to get it to the ground, he's not necessarily winning there. And for him to win it there, it's impossible to say how much of it is that we went, okay, the Dana White got his his guy a victory one way or another. Even if he, he tried to set him up with one via matchmaking, he still made it tough on himself. And so the judges have to had to gift it to him. And so there's obviously going to be a little bit of like resentment on that basis. But it also just felt like just skill-wise, just watching what he's doing in the fight, I don't know how sustainable this is because he does not seem super good and it doesn't seem like he is really improving a whole lot from one fight to the next. Like he's got his chin up. He, that there's a hole in his guard for that left hand and it finds it all night long. You just, the the mistake Jared Gordon makes, I guess is not throwing it more. And you just, you come away from that going like, what is it exactly we are told we are supposed to be excited about here? Because it can't be fighting skill. It doesn't seem like he doesn't seem terrible or anything. He's not like a, a a CM Punk, but he does seem very average. Yeah. Jared Gordon, uh, the first guy to go out there and try to at least try to take advantage of Patty Pimblett flying his chin up there like a signal flag. Uh, and you're right. His, his main failing in this fight might have been not throwing that left hand more. Uh, and I come away with this thing from this thing again, you know, kind of outside the Patty Pimblet discussion, but just sort of like faced again with the reality that I feel like the judging criteria in this sport are, is still a huge problem because if you actually score this fight, according to the criteria by which, professional judges are supposed to score mixed martial arts fights in the year of our Lord 2022. You can give this one to Patty, man. You can, because, uh, you know, just the way the criteria are written, all of that stuff that Jared Gordon does in rounds two and three, where he has him pushed up against the fence or kind of when he takes him down and he's riding him in the third round, none of that stuff is really supposed to score. Like none of that stuff is really supposed to matter unless you think the striking is exactly even. So to me, round two is a clear Patty Pimblet round. And round three is so weird. It's, you could almost like run it at a judging seminar as a test case yeah. for your criteria because almost that entire round is Jared Gordon playing the Randy Couture and pushing him up against the fence and not doing a ton there. But there's also not that much striking in that round whatsoever. So if you told me that you thought that round should go to Patty Pimblet because that's how the criteria work, I would say, okay. But to my eye, that has to be a Jared Gordon round just on the using the criteria of this is a fight and I'm watching it with my eyes. That's a (laughs) Jared Gordon round. But I guess according to the actual MMA criteria, you could make an argument that that's a Patty Pimblet round. Now, the funny thing is only one judge did that. Yeah. You look at the scorecards and two of these three judges 
gave Patty Pimblett the first and the second round. Which I don't know how you give him the first round. I, I, cannot I don't get that. understand that at all. The only judge that I think scored this one according to the criteria is Chris Lee, who gave Jared Gordon the first and then gave Patty Pimblett the second two uh, rounds. And you can say that those criteria suck. I kind of think that they do. I kind of think that if you can make a case for Patty in that third round based on uh, the fact that none of the stuff Jared Gordon did should score points, I think that's kind of flawed. I think that's bad. But if you, again, are scoring this shit according to the criteria, you can actually make a case that Patty won this thing. Uh, it's just weird that two of the three judges did not appear to do that, but still came up with Patty Pimblett cards, which is kind of strange. Yeah, I mean, to say he won that first round, which the most significant action of the first round was him getting cracked over and over again with that left hand. And then he ends the round on his back trying to throw some elbows. And like the thing that you have to tell me, both about the first round and the third round, I understand saying a lot of the stuff that Jared Gordon does in the third round is stuff that we used to think would win you around in an MMA fight. But as we've come to refine and understand better our own scoring criteria, we no longer think that. Okay, fine. Show me what Patty Pimblett did, though. Yeah. In either of those rounds that won him the round. And especially for him to say afterwards, he was so confident that he'd won the first oh, two. The temerity again. <laughs> Saying it's the fight of the night, asking for a bonus, saying that he knew he was up 2-0 and he coasted the temerity of Patrick Pimblett. I mean, to say like, okay, yeah, I, I my my foot was hurt, whatever, in the third round. I knew I'd won the first two, so I just kind of took it easy. And it's like, there, there's no way you could tell me that you were like, you came out of that first round. You went, that went exactly according to plan. Definitely, I got that one in the bank. 1-0, Patty. Like, th right. there's no way. There's just no way. And again, though, I think that a, a big part of the response is going to be that, A, we knew the promoter wanted you to win. That's that's not even really an arguable point. They're behind you. They got the barstool sports guys, grown ass men in the ridiculous wigs sitting front row that were, <laughs> which makes for a, just a ridiculous visual. Also, those guys sitting there just grim faced with their with their <laughs> wigs on, uh, looking like a member of the monkeys. And then you spent all week kind of stepping in it in one way or another, uh, so that. You started on Monday with a, with a certain amount of support, and then you didn't have that support by Sunday morning. And like some of that is just going to be unavoidable, but also some of it is just people going like, okay, wait a minute. You mean to tell me they, they put him in this fight for him to win, and he barely got by? Yeah. With some help from the judges. Like, what do you yeah. do now? Because right. you've talked yourself it's into a situation where you are kind of a thing. You are kind of a guy. And you're going to have to fight somebody else who's kind of a thing at some point. Like, there's only so many Jared Gordons that they can really find for you until it gets absurd. And then what? Like, yeah. every time I hear somebody talking about what are you going to do with them now and naming a, an, an actual name, I'm like, nope, nope, going to get <laughs> murdered. I don't know what you do. Yeah, it's a it's a legitimate matchmaking dilemma now i think for the ufc because they have successfully built this guy into seemingly kind of a star like i said there's people out there in the audience both children and grown-up adults wearing the patty pimblet wigs he seems to be 
uh, a saleable item right now. But like you said, they're giving him people that he's supposed to steamroll and he's just barely scraping by them. I don't know what you do at this point. I think it's, it's a, it's a quandary for UFC matchmakers and it will be fascinating to see what no name contender series guy they dredge up for Patty Pimla to fight on pay-per-view television next time around. So I can't wait. I can't wait to find out. All right, let's do uh, Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week? Well, I know we'll end up talking more about the whole light heavyweight title picture and how we're just going to keep shifting what belt or what what fight is going to be for the vacant light heavyweight title. But I got to give a thought here and, 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 and spare a moment for my man Anthony Smith, who's sitting there at the broadcast desk post-fight and we're being told, hey, breaking news, by the way, you know how you were supposed to fight Jamal Hill like next month? Yeah, well, they Dana White just said how he and the boys uh, went in the green room. They were all kind of bummed about how the light, this vacant light heavyweight title fight turned out. And so then somebody threw out the idea, hey, what if we take Jamal Hill against uh, Glover Teixeira? We make that one for the light for the vacant light heavyweight belt uh, next month in Brazil. And we all went, yay, good idea. Let's do it. It's done. And Anthony Smith went, wait, what? My, I've been training for this fight. I kind of been planning on it. But also, he's in a very delicate balance there. And he knows it because he's sitting there at the ESPN plus whatever broadcast table. But knowing that he is, he is serving there at the pleasure of the UFC. And if he says, this is fucking bullshit. You guys yanked my fight out from under me when you know I've been preparing for it. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm ready to go. You gave me the date. I said yes. And now you're just going to pull me from the fight because it's uh, more convenient for you to do it this way. What a bunch of horse shit. Then he knows he's probably not coming back to that commentator desk. He knows that job is going away. And you can see him. It's written on his face, Chad, the internal struggle because he's pissed, rightly so. He's being screwed over through no fault of his own, and yet he's right there with a microphone, a platform to say something about it, but he also knows if he wants to keep that platform, he can't say the thing. And who comes to the rescue? John Anik, who recognizes this moment for what it is, and deftly, I would say, dives in to be like, i got a lot of respect for you right now, Anthony, for handling this so professionally. (laughs) And the the undercurrent of what he's saying is, I know you want to flip out, and you know the consequences of flipping out. So keep it cool, play along, and I will make sure you get the do daps for keeping it cool and playing along and not rocking the boat here. I will, I will help draw attention to how cool you are being about it so that then you can go on. I mean, are you fucking kidding me? It's Shakespearean what is happening on this post-fight <laughs> show just in the eyes and the faces alone. Yeah, yeah. You fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me. Uh, Well, Ben, I want to say in advance that I don't want to say anything that sounds like I am supportive of Barstool Sports because we just talked about them all out there in their Patty Pimblet wigs uh, looking like the goddamn mod squad got drenched in bleach. uh, Trying to tell Dana White this was the fight of the night. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, on that very topic, your boy Justin Gaethje thought he was going to flex a little bit on Twitter. And he goes out there and he posts this. This makes the bar school barstool guys look really bad. Just bending over for the lad fight of the night. Barstool can give him 50,000, but that performance will never get you a bonus in the octagon to which uh, Dave Portnoy, the, the barstool president 
responds, people are telling me at Justin Gaethje was recently seen hanging out with a warlord accused of brutal crimes against humanity. So it's hypocritical for him to say we look bad for supporting Patty when he supports a warlord. I'm going to take the high road and not mention it. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, we could get into the politics How nice of Barstool it, though, Sports, you know? who also has a uh, partnership with the UFC, we're pretty sure at this point, saying that Justin Gaethje shouldn't be over there hanging out with Ramzan Kadyrov's family on his kid's birthday. But then Justin Gaethje fires back. That's an outright lie and slander. Somebody named at Hypno Wolverine replies, there are literally pictures and video, lol. Bro, we saw you. Justin Gaethje replies, show me. What? Hold on. This, you're telling me all this for the first time now, Chad. (laughs) <laughs> and then, so I'm trying to struggle to understand it. Are you, are you telling me that Justin Gaethje is going to deny that he went there and was shooting guns with Kadyrov and everything? Bro, well, we saw you. But, is he going to say it was wait, a deep fake? Wait, uh, you know what the internet does when Justin Gaethje asks them to show him, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they show him. Yeah. Like uh, lots of people on this thread posting the pictures and the video. It's not hard to find. Then, Justin Gaethje's defense, Ben, seems to be uh, that Ramzan Kadyrov himself was not present at this time. He says, I just went over there for the kid's birthday, is his tweet. And it's true. Kadyrov is himself not in these pictures of video. You know, they just went to Chechnya and went to his house and shot his guns and hung out with his son for his birthday. But that guy wasn't there. So it's fine. Don't worry about it. Are you fucking kidding me, dude? He just went there for the kid's birthday. The kid yep. being Ramzan Kadyrov's son. Yes. And presumably he was paid. He was he didn't just get a invite in the mail that was like a save the date in destination birthday party in Dagest or in Chechnya. <laughs> uh would you like to swing on by? And he was like, Yeah, yeah I got nothing going on that Saturday. I could, you know, uh I'll get him a gift card. Bring him a nice, nice gift card and just hop on a plane to Chechnya. Like he was paid to go over there, but is going to be like, doesn't have anything to do with the warlord. Fucking kidding me? Justin, bud, if you're going to wade into the discourse, you got to you gotta come up with a better defense than this, man. Just don't, don't wade in when this is the best you got. You fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Jed, you mentioned it earlier, and it it bears repeating that here's the kind of weekend your man Douglas Crosby had. Friday night, he's over there at Uncasville, the the Mohegan Sun granddaddy of them all for a Bellator event, turns in what many people consider to be a baffling scorecard in the Ruvian Stotts-Danny Sabatello fight. And then, because he 
He sees a bat signal in the sky, knows his services are needed elsewhere, pretty much immediately has to go to Las Vegas to then turn in a baffling scorecard here for UFC 282. One can only imagine what he got up to on Sunday, Chad. Did he go fuck up a wet t-shirt contest on the Vegas Strip or something? Did, did he did he show up to like a a, a hot dog eating contest and just completely screw everybody's whole program up? The fact that Douglas Crosby is still doing this as a judge after the several different ways he has found over the years to show us not only that he is not terribly competent as a judge, but that he also seems to be kind of unhinged as a person is amazing. And for the Nevada State Athletic Commission with the UFC pay-per-view, you're looking around, who can we get to be the judges for this thing? Well, Doug Crosby has a prior commitment on Friday night in Uncasville, but we got to get him here. Yeah, we we need Douglas Crosby. Get him over here. It just makes you think, so we're not even really trying to come up with a, like the best and the brightest minds judging wise. We're not, we're not even really looking around to do any kind of like assessment and be like, who's doing a good job. Let's keep hiring them. Who's doing a bad job. Let's stop hiring them. We're kind of like, it's like it's still 2007 where we're just like, we got a list of a few guys. We know who do this and we just call those guys. So it doesn't seem like it's changed at all. Yeah. Uh, Let's be real clear about what Douglas Crosby did on Friday over in Bellator, just in case anybody didn't see it. Uh, as you mentioned, Rufion Stotts and Danny Sabatello were fighting in the men's bantamweight Grand Prix. The title was on the line because Stotts is the champion. It was a five-round fight. Two of the judges had it, 48-47 for Stotts. Douglas Crosby rolls in with a 50-45 scorecard for Danny Sabatello. Said he won every round of a fight the other two judges said he did not in fact win which you know i can't imagine that this is actually true but mma decisions.com or whatever it is you know where they put the yeah. decisions up there said this was the only five round fight they could find where the loser got a 50 45 scorecard so that's remarkable for douglas crosby to do that secondly i guess if you told me that there was no small amount of cronyism happening in how we get these judges and put them in their seats and you know their relations to the athletic commissions and all this other stuff i would believe you because i don't know how else we just keep running the same people out there especially when they have reputations as people who so often turn in uh the lone dissenting scorecard right i saw another thing that said just this year doug crosby had had six scorecards that disagreed with the other judges yeah so like he's doing it on the regular and see, that's one of the things, uh, the, the, a fun story is the way I started, uh, any sort of correspondence with California State Athletic Commission Executive Director Andy Foster was I had written something about, uh, problems with judging. This is years ago when I think Andy had very recently taken over as the, the director of the California Commission. And I'd mentioned Doug Crosby as somebody who seems like he's constantly, a problem and yet still constantly shows up and I got a call out of the blue and it was Andy Foster. And one of the first things he said to me was, I think Doug Crosby sucks. I didn't ask him about his opinion on Doug. Crosby. That was one of the first words out of his mouth when he called me up and just like, cause he wanted to talk about judging, but he also wanted to talk about how, what California was trying to do to, make sure there's an ongoing assessment of judges and how he was worried that that was not a thing 
all the commissions were doing. And one of the things he said that they look for is when there's an instance, when there's a split decision or something, look at the outlier judge's scorecard. Even when there's a unanimous decision from somebody, but one guy has it way different than everybody else. And not necessarily saying that that makes him automatically wrong, but that's when the commission should step in and proactively reach out to that judge and say, explain to us your thinking here. Like, you might have a good point. You might be able to justify that score, but we need we do need to hear it at that point because the whole point of having the three judges, two other judges seem to agree with each other. You went a completely different direction, so we're going to need to hear some kind of explanation for that. And the, most of these commissions don't really do anything like that. And when you go through on something like MMA decisions and see how often they end up as the lone dissenting judge, that should be a red flag. Because it could happen to anybody every once in a while. It's going to happen. It's the nature of judging. But if you don't have a good explanation for it, and if it happens to you over and over again, then it seems like you're just looking for different stuff. Yeah. And either everybody else is wrong and you're right, or you are fucking it up. I want to get Matt Brown's tweet on here because uh, uh, I think it's important to note this from former or current UFC fighter, Matt Brown. Uh, he writes, you have to know when fighters get ripped off by judges, you get half the pay. Whatever momentum streak you had is destroyed. Next fight is most likely not as big. It sucks when you did your job and the reward gets taken away by someone that deals with no consequences. So, you know, these when these people come in here and, and cast these these wacky scores that swing a fight one way or another it has real consequences actually for the athletes in the cage not the least of which as matt brown points out is that they get half the money in many cases depending on what your contract says but like usually half your money depends on whether you win or not so it's not like this is a game or a joke or uh you know, just a trivial thing that doesn't matter it actually affects the lives of these professional mma fighters a great deal so there is that but i also want to air what I consider to be an uncomfortable truth. And I'm not talking about fighters here. I'm just talking about we as spectators uh, inside the bubble, the MMA Twitter verse. Don't you think we would just be happier if we admitted that we kind of love it when there's a bad decision? Like, cause we don't, we don't talk about anything else as much ever. Somebody could go out there and have a perfect five round performance in a fight win a championship, be regarded as the number one pound for pound fighter in the world. And it wouldn't get even a glimmer of the same kind of traffic as when one person turns in a scorecard that doesn't agree with the other two. We fucking love that shit, man. We talk about that all. We literally broke the fucking internet on Saturday night. Cause somebody did it for Patty Pimblett. We fucking love this shit. Like, isn't that the truth? Like if you put together the perfect <laughs> MMA card, one of the fights would have a screw job decision because that's what's going to drive all the traffic. <laughs> okay. I mean, from a driving traffic and giving us people like us stuff to talk about perspective, maybe you have a point. It, it is situations like this, though, that I I really wish we had open scoring for. Because if, can you imagine if what happens after that first round, they go back to the, the corners and they flash up on the screen the judges' scores for that. And you got two judges giving a, a, a 10-9 to Patty Pimlet. Can you imagine the, the murmurings going through the crowd as people go like, oh, he won that? That was him winning? Like, <laughs> And imagine like what they'd say in Jared Gordon's corner where they're like, oh, okay, well, fuck. I guess we got to get this guy out of here then. Because um, like that... Uh, that's kind of nuts, right? Like 
Jaragord uh, sitting on the stool uh, after the second round, asking his team, uh, "Am I losing? Am I winning?" And they're like, "It's close. It's close. We got to have this round either way." And imagine if they could have told him, "You're you're somehow down 2-0, bro." Yeah. Like no, Jared Gordon probably approaches that third round differently, right? He absolutely that was a, does. Yeah, absolutely. He does. Um, although he probably also sits there fucking dumbfounded for at least a few seconds after they tell him that. So in that sense, I, I do wish we had that open scoring just so like, cause it, it would have changed. I think a fight like that people's approaches and, and how they're viewing it during it, both the, the fans, uh, and the fighters and their coaches and all that other kind of stuff. Um, but I also think, the our perspective on judging is probably going to be changed by how widespread gambling on these fights has become in America now that it's legal almost everywhere the UFC has big sports book sponsorships we got a uh, a DraftKings sponsorship you know a lot more people now that it's easier and it's more available all kinds of places a lot more people are going to be betting on these fights whether it's just for fun or whether they get more serious about it or what and it's one thing when it's the fighters money being fucked with and people are going, LOL, these crazy judges in MMA, they don't know shit. You never know what the judges are going to do, man. Don't leave it in the hands of the judges. That's how it goes, bro. Like we were pretty flippant about it when it was just yeah. fighters getting fucked by it. Don't leave it in the hands of the judges, bro. That's why we told you, you should just win every fight by knockout or submission. And then when it's other people's money getting fucked with, I think they're going to take a different perspective on it when they're going, these judges just fucked me out of what I felt like was my savvy betting approach where I knew Patty Pimlet was overrated. I knew Jared Gordon had a shot as an underdog. I put money down on him. That money should be mine. And the, and fucking Doug Crosby comes in here and takes, takes food out of my children's mouths. How dare he? I think that that's going to change people's approach and how they view judging fuck ups. Uh, and maybe we are, we are not totally prepared for that yet. Yeah. Well, I mean, these judges just better hope they don't start costing the UFC money. Because you're just costing fighters money. That's one thing. You fuck around your James Krause, you get them banned in Alberta and Ontario, and they got all these DraftKings sponsorships and shit. We won't well, see you again. I mean, this we is one of the things that maybe it's that. The, the opposite. Because, you know, clearly the UFC would like Patty Pimlet to keep on being a thing. It's why they booked this fight for him in the first place. And he does win it. And I saw Ariel Hawani suggesting, you know, maybe is Doug Crosby tilting some of his scorecards either consciously or unconsciously toward who he thinks the promoter wants to win because then you know maybe he thinks that it'll help him for job security long term or whatever um because you can't say that the usc came out of that looking pissed off at the result right yeah, like dana white's sitting the there at the press conference probably gonna make him money dana white's sitting there at the press conference who would tell you normally just like he doesn't fight uh make matches on fight night will tell you he's not criticizing people's game plan but he has nothing but like his all the shit he wants to talk about that fight is about jared gordon and how how he approached that third round and not about patty pimlet just getting pasted with left hooks throughout the entire thing like he didn't seem displeased with it you know yeah. all right that's gonna do it for round number two we'll be right back with round number three
Well, Ben, we absolutely had to get a light heavyweight title fight on the books at UFC 282. So much so that when Yuri Prohaska hurt his shoulder and Glover Tashira asked for two extra weeks to train, we pulled him from the event and we set up a brand new matchup. Jan Blahovich against Magomed Ankalaev for the 205-pound strap had to get done. Absolutely necessary that we had the fight on this night and the mma god said not so fast my friend ufc light heavyweight title still vacant in the wake of ufc 282's split draw main event jan blahovich and magomed ankalaev come out of this thing tied and so uh now we got to go down to brazil in march and do glover Teixeira against Number seven ranked UFC light heavyweight Jamal Hill. So if you're keeping score, the title fight could be Glover Teixeira against Yuri Prohaska. The rematch, it could be Jan Blahovich against Magomed Ankalaev, or it could be Glover Teixeira against uh, Jamal Hill. One of those five guys is the best light heavyweight in the world, Ben, folks. And <laughs> it could be any of them. We're just going to keep going until we find one. Yeah, I mean... There seemed to be a little bit of like weird irony to me to Dana White coming out of this one where he says he thought this was a terrible fight, zoned out at certain points of the fight, couldn't talk enough yeah. shit about this fight. A uh, couple again, of light heavyweights who had been getting ready for a three rounder getting yeah. promoted for to a five rounder and all of a sudden shitty fight zoned out after a couple rounds. Like, come on, man. Again, nobody unpromotes UFC fighters. Nobody talks more shit about UFC fighters than UFC president Dana White. But uh, it did seem like a thing that he was not even taken into account at all is that, all right, you weren't super happy with maybe the pace or the output of this fight that these guys trained for as a three-rounder and that a couple weeks beforehand th for necessities of the UFC calendar and, and keeping the, the championship belt on the, 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 keeping the gold on the poster for the pay-per-view, you changed it to a five-rounder on them. And you got to think maybe that affected uh, their approach, how they had to parcel out their energy where you were preparing for three rounds and then the next thing you know, you're in five rounds. And then you're going to turn right around and do it again to two other guys where you're just like, okay, well, we didn't get what we wanted out of this one. Felt like it was a terrible fight, a real letdown. Let's go do the same thing to these two other guys and just not even take into account that it might be part of the issue. But it also just makes it seem like uh, we're just sort of having some light heavyweight fights at this point. Yeah, We're just having some scraps. I mean, if you needed any further evidence that the UFC titles are merely or ornamental, which the UFC will argue in a legal sense if they have to. They will be the yeah. first to admit our titles are merely ornamental. If you needed evidence of that, just look at what happened at UFC 282 and look what's going to happen in Brazil in March when they pretty much will make any random fight as long as it is for the gold and on the day that they want to have it. If it meets the demands of the live event schedule, they will do it. And that's why you have five different guys who are apparently fit for a title fight on one random day or another. Yeah. Well, and, you know, if we're going to be doing a light heavy, like vacant light heavyweight title fight, we got to put one guy up against one guy uh, and have it for the title. I mean, 
It's not a terrible pairing to have Glover Teixeira against Jamal Hill. I mean, it's number two versus number seven in the UFC zone rankings. Again, it completely fucks Anthony Smith, and we're just we're not even really going to give him a good explanation as to why. Just because, like, well, we're in Brazil, so Glover was kind of ready to go. He sells well there, so that's what we're doing. Um, but it does just seem like, like I was joking about it in response to one of your tweets, but it's almost accurate that hey why don't you just have the fights why don't you just have whatever light heavyweight fights you you got on the schedule and then afterwards you can tell us which one you think was for the title like just just say like okay this one was the best one of those and this guy won that one therefore he's the new champion meanwhile the samurai yuri p following the way of the blade over there getting his shoulder fixed after the worst injury in the history of shoulders uh and is just sort of shaking his head from afar and like the mma gods will not let you replace me just will not happen. Yeah. Uh, a wild ride for Jamal Hill, who, you know, as you mentioned a couple of times, that was supposed to fight Anthony Smith and will, it will always be a tough and grueling fight against a guy like Anthony Smith. He opens as the favorite over Glover Tashira in the, uh, the opening lines here. So to go from number seven in the UFC, supposed to fight Anthony Smith, to be in the favorite over Glover Tashira to go win the UFC light heavyweight title uh, in Brazil in January. That's crazy, man. Yeah. That's a a ride for that guy. And of course, I don't know why you couldn't do a rematch between Glover and Anthony Smith. He's still more highly rated than, uh, or more highly ranked, I guess, than Jamal Hill, but maybe you didn't, you know, maybe you thought that it was too one-sided the first time. And so you got to get some fresh blood in there, but just weird, weird matchmaking decisions around this 205-pound title right now. Yeah, and, I mean, it just seems like we need to put the belt on somebody. Just a warm body. And, and, and then, it has to happen on our schedule. And then, we and then we'll, out. we'll go from there. We'll figure it out after that point. Um, and it seems like, you know... This was never any, like, we've talked about when John Jones left this division to go move up to heavyweight, which still an idea that exists mostly in theory all these, these years later. You'll recall that we all kind of went like, well, okay, maybe that's not the worst thing in the world. He's dominated light heavyweight for so long, things have felt a little bit stagnant there. Now you remove uh, this dominant force from the division the the landscape is wide open it's a goddamn feeding frenzy let's see who comes out on top i tell you i didn't think we'd be sitting here still with a vacant title due to injury and the inability to pick a winner and we'd just be like drawing names out of a hat essentially yeah yet here we are uh magomed Ankalaev not pleased in the in the aftermath of this first of all, was quoted as saying he was thinking about leaving the UFC because of it. Then he later came out and said that was a mistranslation of what he said. Uh, but again, not that we like to talk about the guy, but Ramzan Kadyrov takes it to notes <laughs> to uh, to address Dana White on the on the topic. Obviously, Uncle I have also sponsored by the, what's it called? Uh, Avkamat or whatever it is that uh, is the MMA organization in Chechnya that sponsors these guys and the organization um, that is also a gym that is also sort of a recruiting tool for his own private militia. Dana White, what happened to you? Writes Ramzan Kadyrov. You were a normal principled man. And today you took the championship belt out of the ring without handing it to the clear winner or has politics entered the UFC ring and requires you to referee dirty. It's a sport, Dana. Be honest. 
You know what? Thank you, Dictator, for coming on here and imploring us to be honest and not let politics get involved. Again, uh, this guy, it must be very confusing for him to see something like this, to be like, wait, I, what do you mean? Like, how could the results just not pan out the way you want? Why don't you just declare your own winner? Just say this guy won. And if people don't like it, then have your death squads round him up, man. I don't see what the big problem is. That's what I'd do. Well, and we know that the UFC isn't really above declaring their own winner from time to time, uh, or at least acting like one person won when the other person was declared uh, the victor. But here, I guess we're going to go with the draw and uh, we are going to coast into this January fight card where Glover Tashira is now going to fight Jamal Hill for the UFC light heavyweight title. Uh, you're, well, I mean, I guess on the bright side, you're going to have a lot of suitors. No matter who wins this thing, you're going to have both Yanni Blackjacks and Magomed Ankalaev saying that, uh, you know, neither of them lost this fight. Ankalaev probably has a, a a decent argument that he could have won the thing. And then you're also going to have Yuri Prohaska, uh trying to get his shoulder put back together and come back. So I guess no shortage of guys to continue fighting for the title if you need to make a random pairing over the gold at any point in the future. So that's good news for the promoter, I guess. Yeah. We could do right. a lot of business. Let's do just saying stuff, Ben, and then we will get out of here for this week. Uh, ben, you know I like to watch the corners. Yeah. You know I like to watch the corner men work. And this week, I'm just saying, shout out to Magomed Ankalaev's head corner man who is out here trying to get in the Chad Dundas corner man hall of fame all in one night. Just a string of awesome shit being said to Magomed Anka live in the corner, I guess also probably got to give props to the uh, interpreter because some of it clearly was, uh, came through the interpreter, but here's my favorite quote. So you're ready for him. Yeah. Number one, best corner advice. Just kill him. You're faster than him. Mm-hmm. Number two, best corner advice. Just squeeze the life out of him. <laughs> Number four, best corner advice. He is zero. He is a full zero. Number five, put yourself together. Just rip him apart. And my favorite, my personal favorite. Now this, I got to think maybe lost in translation, but uh, the corner man told Magomed Ankalaev multiple times, he is not your opponent. Hmm. Huh. He actually literally was his opponent in that fight. Is the, is, are we saying that the real opponent is yourself? I think maybe that's the implication. Okay. I just don't know if like maybe he was trying to say you're he's not your equal or like he's okay. not as good as you and maybe it got lost in translation a little bit. But if you don't think I'm adding all these to my corner man playbook, I absolutely am. When we finally get you in that wimp to warrior MMA fight, Ben folks, and I'm your head corner man, I'm going to be standing there in the corner yelling, just rip him apart. Just put your hands on Squeeze him. Squeeze the life out of he's him. He's not your opponent. Squeeze the life out of him. If you're wondering, sad. uh, yeah, that's great. Great advice. Just saying. Well, Chad, this week, I'm just saying thank you to Jed Mayshew for cluing me in to the fact that Dana White apparently went and did a video with this doctor who has revolutionized his health. You remember. Yeah, uh, a you while- say doctor. I say Sven Gali, but, you know, to each his own. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I believe it was. Uh, Jed Goodman, uh, sorry, uh, uh, the the video here is Dana White sitting down 
we're, we're, we're doing this video. Uh, he wants to walk you through everything we're doing here with his doctor. Uh, and I first saw a little clip of it where it's just the doctor pointing out, like, going through blood test results and just kind of casually mentions, like, oh, yeah, the testosterone's in the high range, uh, which is not unusual since we're doing test uh, since we're doing hormone replacement therapy. Basically, going ahead and telling everybody, Dana White's on synthetic testosterone, which, just saying number one, uh, 1A kind of here is... Uh, Synthetic testosterone, typically synthesized from soy, therefore making Dana White the ultimate right-wing tough guy, technically a soy boy. So that's good to know. Um, also, though, I guess I'm just saying, did he did he think he needed to do this? Like, I don't know if you really needed to go and sit down with this doctor and within the first 30 seconds, in almost self-parody fashion, be like, people are talking about I'm getting scammed. You think I would get scammed? And it's like, well, I hadn't considered that you were getting scammed by your doctor until you brought it up right now at the very beginning of this video that I don't know why you felt it necessary to make. I had. <laughs> I considered it first thing. The first thing I thought was that he was getting scammed by some doctor whose thing is that he tells rich guys when they're going to die and then offers them a miracle medical treatment if they don't want to die on that day. But main, my main just saying thing about this is remember like a couple months ago when we put out this video, like, look at Dana White. He's shredded at 52 or whatever years old he is. Look, there's a picture of him in the gym with his shirt off looking totally shredded. Isn't this tough guy, you know, intermittent fasting, crazy diet routine that he's working on. And then we find out here sort of, oh, and by the way, he is also on synthetic testosterone. I guess I'm just saying it kind of never fails. It's like when you see one of those articles where it's like, how I managed to pay off my home and retire at 30. And you know, you know that if you read deep enough into the article, at some point it's going to mention, oh, and uh, my grandfather invented plastic. <laughs> and I inherited $200 million. So that's a big, that's really doing the heavy lifting kind of part of my whole financial plan. And here it is too. We we're talking about all the intermittent fasting, crazy stuff he does lifestyle wise. Eh, drugs though is drugs. That's how we're mainly the, I do the keto. <laughs> I'm on keto. I do the intermittent fasting. Yeah. I also uh, take steroids. So got my cardio under control, doing a lot of the Olympic lifts, mm -hmm. uh, multi-joint explosive fat burning exercises uh and i'm on steroids yes. i started getting up 15 minutes earlier every day to do a little <laughs> bit of yoga and also synthetic testosterone <laughs> just saying it never fails it's all, it's all that you can always count on it all right that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast if you're a 20 dollars patron of the show stick around for after hours that's coming up right now. If you are a patron, we'll see you the rest of the week over at patreon.com slash co-main event. Uh, if you're just a casual last listener of the proper, we'll talk to you one week from today for another episode of this show. Thanks for listening, everybody. As for right now, we are done. We are through. We are out. Ben, uh, I was trying to figure out exactly how I felt about UFC 282 after it aired because you know like we said things seemed like they were going pretty well and then you know toward the end of it things kind of went off the rails I wasn't sure exactly how I was feeling and, and it's not that I really like to admit this but one of the things I started to feel about the results of UFC 282 was like sometimes it feels 
like almost all of the shit in this sport is just made up like the money is real the damage rocks to the athletes is real but like we were saying a minute ago the titles seem ornamental the weight classes seem downright fungible if you need to as we saw in the what 180 pound 